Hi everyone, this is Dominic here from anxietymaster.org and in this brief podcast episode I'm just going to be offering you an audio version of the PDF for 5 Essentials to Master Your Relationship. Now, if you don't have a copy of this already, please have a look in the description and you'll be able to download a beautiful PDF version which I'll be covering today. Now really this resource was put together in response to the number of couples who've been contacting me with regards to communication difficulties in their relationship. So I thought, well, rather than always repeat the same information again and again, let's put this all into one place and then I can also share this with you out there. So again, if you haven't downloaded the PDF version, please do. I've tried to make this as beautiful as possible for you. So it's a nice, easy read to accompany this audio. Okay, let's make a start. Five essentials to help master your relationship. And I should say as well, you know, this doesn't necessarily have to be romantic relationships. This can also be friendships or within families. The same principles apply, really. You know, we don't want to get kind of pulled into the plots of situations, but we can apply these themes to various different kind of relationships within our life. Okay, here we go. Acceptance, belonging and a sense of connection. It's what we all crave and it's commonly within our intimate relationships that we most hope to find these affirmations. And when we don't, we're often left feeling misunderstood, rejected, stressed and upset. At heart, a relationship represents an investment and with any investment, there's something valuable at stake. Naturally, we're primed to continually check that a fair return is available to us. In essence, we want to know that our partner shares the unwritten arrangement that keeps the foundations of the relationship, loyalty, honesty, safety and trust, sturdy and robust. When conflict does occur, these foundations can start to wobble. And faced with an ongoing dispute, both partners will often begin nursing a story about what has happened and what went wrong, whose fault it was, and critically, what the other person should be doing to put things right again. It's here that negative communication patterns commonly emerge, criticising one another, becoming mean or spiteful, getting defensive and withdrawing love and attention. What you say and what they hear remain different things, and vice versa. This process represents a draining and disheartening experience. In essence, all we want is to be understood and also to understand. And it's not in our interests when we fail to empathise with where our partner is coming from. And so it continues. Both parties turn away from one another and often with painful results. Intimacy may suffer, empathy evaporates, suspicions arise and mistrust can develop. If this sounds familiar, this brief guide will offer you some meaningful support. It sets out to help you dig deeper and reaffirm your intention to make your relationship work. And to truly understand yourself and your partner, you both need to be ready to offer a commitment. And this genuine commitment involves listening to understand, not just to respond. Understanding the subtext, this means being attuned to what your partner is really saying. Reflecting honestly upon where your assumptions may cause harm. Fostering receptivity to change the story that you're telling yourself. Being prepared to move on from the past and look to the future. Now if that sounds like work, it is. Yet there's nothing heavier than the burden of regret if you don't offer equity to your relationship outcome. So if you want to know you've done your relationship full justice, the front end lifting will be worth it. Let's make a start. So, principle one, know how to communicate. To improve communication, you need to know how you and your partner prefer to express yourselves. Not everyone has the same communication preferences. 
For instance, faced with a problem, some people like a frank and outward discussion, whilst others might prefer to hold off from talking, choosing to wait and see where feelings settle once things have cooled down. Similarly, each of us has preferences for how we like to express and receive love and appreciation. Understanding these preferences, both your own and your partner's, will help you to A, communicate your expectations more clearly, and B, take the guesswork out of decoding your partner's hopes and inclinations. So think for a moment, what gestures or acts of love touch you the most? Perhaps your ears prick up and you experience a warm glow to the sound of compliments or words of encouragement, such as, you're looking great today. Or maybe, actions speak louder than words. The thought and time involved in simple acts of service, such as having a meal cooked for you, might mean the world after a long day's work. Maybe receiving simple gifts, such as a small loving card left on the breakfast table, spikes your affections. Or perhaps it's all about the time you and your partner spend together that builds your faith in a soul-nourishing and quality relationship. Or it could be that when you do get time together, it's all about physical closeness, holding hands, kissing, hugging, that makes it feel worthwhile. These affirmations of care are not exclusive. Emotionally secure and intimate relationships will likely involve a combination of these gestures and expressions of love. Yet your partner's primary preference for experiencing love and tip is commonly our preferences for receiving love are what we're inclined to offer, won't be replaced by the others. So if physical touch is yours or your partner's preference, no number of presents or compliments will replace this. They want to know that you're there, not just emotionally, but physically. So here are some questions for you both to consider, perhaps first alone and then together. Or what does meaningful appreciation look and feel like to you? It's surprising how many people can't actually put this answer into words. What does meaningful appreciation look and feel like to your partner? And to what extent are you both aware of one another's preferences? Moving on to principle two, knowing your relationship needs. So we all know that we have physical needs for food, water, warmth and shelter, which we need to survive. And equally, we also have a range of emotional needs that need to be met in order to ensure our emotional health and well-being. By the way, this is something I've talked about before, and there's also a different resource, which is your emotional health check-in, which goes into this far greater depth. So do check that out. This is available on the main page of anxietymaster.org. So these emotional needs then, well, all in all, there are nine. And these are for security. This is the first one, a sense of safety and certainty, an environment in which you can live without experiencing excessive fear so that you can develop healthily. You need attention, receiving consideration from others, but also to give it. And this is a vital form of energy exchange that fuels the development of each person, family and culture. Intimacy. You need an emotional connection to other people for friendship, love and closeness and fun. And privacy. We need time and space to reflect upon and consolidate our experiences. You also need a connection to a wider community, interaction with a larger group of people, and a sense of being part of the group. Of course, other people help us normalise life's problems, and this helps us to stay sane. You need a sense of competence and achievement, a sense of your own abilities, and the conviction that you have what it takes to meet life's demands. You need a sense of autonomy and control, and this is a a feeling of volition over what happens around you and to you. You need status, a sense that you're accepted and valued in the various social groups to which you belong. 
And maybe underlining all of these is a need for meaning and purpose. And this is being stretched, aiming for meaningful goals and having a sense of a higher calling or serving often that makes all the suffering of life worthwhile and gives us a reason to get up in the morning. So these are your nine emotional needs. They're kind of emotional food, if you like, emotional nutrition. And when these are sufficiently met, we feel validated and secure about our place in the world. But when one or more of those needs are not met, these come to represent stresses in life. So how do these needs relate to successful relationships? Well, it all comes down to how you help to move each other along in order to get these essential needs met. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to meet all of our partner's needs. In fact, that's not possible and nor should we endeavour to do this. Our partner has to meet their own needs. We might concern ourselves, for instance, with with offering them attention. And of course, we might concern ourselves with offering them intimacy as well. But when it comes to a sense of competence or autonomy or status or meaning and purpose, these emotional needs are ones which each of us need to meet for ourselves. And so rather than think in terms of how can I meet my partner's needs, we think in terms of how can I help my partner create the conditions in which they can get needs met for themselves. Let's say, for instance, you think your partner could do with a greater sense of competence or connection to a wider community. And you might say, oh, do you know what? There's this pottery class on Tuesday or Wednesday evenings. Why don't you go and check that out? See how you get on. And when you come back, the flat will be tidy and dinner will be ready. And so in that respect, you're enabling your partner to get that need for maybe connection to a community or competence in a new skill met. I hope that makes sense. This is really what underlines building or re-establishing trust in a relationship, to know that we are in each other's corner and on each other's side, really in service for each other. So here are some questions to consider. Which, if any, of these needs might not be getting met for you? And of course, the way that we interpret these needs is different for all of us. You know, one person's sense of status might be through their work. Another person's sense of status might be through being the confidant within their family, the person who everyone comes to. Which of any of these needs might not be getting met for your partner? And what might you do for yourself in order to get these needs better met? So moving on to principle three, which is really a continuation on this conversation around needs to help one another get needs met and know when yours might wait. So primarily, solid relationships are about service. As a result, a successful partnership will be one in which you are concerned with helping one another get emotional needs met. So how might we go about this? Well, some needs relate more directly to our relationships than others. So for instance, as I mentioned earlier, you can attend your partner's desire for intimate connection and attention exchange. But equally, you can respect and support their need for occasional privacy. Yet, for instance, their sense of status and competence are concerns they will need to attend to themselves. In addition, it's essential to keep in mind that we each get these emotional needs met in different ways. As I mentioned, for instance, one person might achieve sense of status through their success at work, while someone else might get a similar need met by being the go-to figure or the trusted confidant within their social circle or family. So whilst you can't do your partner's work for them and vice versa, you can support them in pursuing their own emotional fulfilment. For example, if success at work is significant to your partner's personal sense of status, 
you might stretch yourself to understand those occasions when they have to work late. And you might do this because you know that their commitment to work makes up an essential part of their overall satisfaction and well-being. The benefit then is a two-way street because you assist their work endeavours and all being well, they come home feeling supported, acknowledged and grateful for your understanding. Now of course, this exchange is all about balance. A successful relationship concerns itself with an ongoing negotiation in which both you and your partner are prepared to make a change and compromise in pursuit of the other's well-being. Every relationship is different. As a result, both you and your partner need to construct a way of making this mutual commitment resonant with your circumstances. So if one partner fulfilling their needs interferes with their partner's ability to feel happy within the relationship, this needs to be addressed. However, if both partners commit to compromise in pursuit of one another's welfare, a middle ground of consensus will nearly always prevail. Let's talk a little bit about when these needs clash and to kind of extend this and, and illustrate a stereotype perhaps. Imagine this. So partner A arrives home from a demanding day at work, relieved to be unburdened and looking forward to the prospect of unwinding. Finally, a bit of peace, they think to themselves. At home, partner B has been taking care of family matters, maybe looking after the children and juggling the many high-maintenance and often low-brain domestic chores that keep household life functional. Understandably, partner B is also ready for some respite and maybe some adult attention. In such circumstances, both partners require empathy and understanding. Each of them has legitimate needs. The trouble is, both partners may, at least temporarily, be too low on the requisite spare capacity to attend to each other's desires. And although both sets of needs are reasonable, these are likely, at least in the moment, to clash. So whilst partner A focuses upon, let's say, meeting a need for privacy and personal space to decompress after work, Partner B is motivated to pursue some much-deserved attention and emotional connection. You can see how these might not align, at least in the moment. And for this reason, it's worth anticipating and planning for potential situational pinch points with your partner. In some situations, you may need to deprioritize your needs. Likewise, in other moments, so will your partner with their needs too. So some questions to consider on this principle. How might you support one another in getting your emotional needs better fulfilled? Between you both, what might meaningful compromise look and feel like? And when necessary, what would it take for you to put your needs temporarily on hold in support of your partner's endeavours? Principle four is to prioritise presence. Relationships need to be maintained. They don't just look after themselves. But how might you go about this? Well, a couple whose relationship has grown stale may place cleaning the dishes, walking the dog, doing yoga, and finishing the crossword puzzle ahead of spending time with one another. And that's not to mention the potential presence of children placing bids and demands for your time and energy along the way. Life is full of external pressures and domestic to-dos, all of which are lining up to prevent you from both enjoying quality shared company. It's here that having some agreements, in other words, pledges that bring unspoken expectations into the open, will support you both in carving out some meaningful time together. So pledge one, set the time. Some people like to connect with their partners the moment they step through the door. 
Others want to arrive more gradually, perhaps taking some time to decompress from the day's events and settle their thoughts as part of their transition into home zone interaction. When these expectations go unaired, tension and disappointment may arise because both partners' preferences remain unheard. So begin by setting a time that acknowledges both of your needs. Identifying a consensus will help you each to align in arriving together. Pledge to dedicate presence, and if you can, for 20-30 minutes, sometimes even 5 minutes if that's all that's available. But the idea is the intention here really. Because the gift of attention is one of the primary motivating fuels for any successful partnership. Receiving attention promotes a sense of acceptance and reassurance. And this interaction provides a calming antidote for many of the demands that might pull you apart each day. So to dedicate presence, start by focusing attention and express consideration for your partner's duties and experiences from throughout the day. Next, open awareness. So in other words, listen with the purpose to understand your partner's experience, not merely to respond before rushing along to your own. And support this interaction with generous intention. In other words, aim to view your partner's experience through the lens of their hopes and concerns. In other words, temporarily suspending your views and judgments to attend, offer care and fellow feeling. Pledge three is to watch the content. Now all too quickly and frequently when you and your partner have limited talking time, the focus of conversation may turn towards conflicts or concerns within the partnership. Whilst any grievances deserve attention, this talk is about giving you and your partner the space to discuss your thoughts aside from the relationship. Now, since the focus is upon external events, it's easier to express support and understanding for your partner's worries and stresses, for instance. So ask your partner about their time and simply listen to what they tell you. Pledge four, remain open and receptive. Now, this conversation is an opportunity to unburden and distribute whatever may be going on for you both. Now, it might feel uncomfortable sometimes if your partner shares anger or sadness or frustration or fear. Or often. In such instances, we're tempted to find a quick solution or move the conversation along. And whilst understandable, feelings of discomfort may indicate our own unease around expressing negative emotions. So it's important to remember here that your role is merely to listen and acknowledge. It's not to solve problems. Allow this time to be a space for celebration too. So if you have a victory at work or as a parent, share this. Beyond raising frustrations, a relationship is about sharing and taking pleasure in the successes of life together. It's often this sense of journey and triumph together over adversity that makes the partnership meaningful. So on this principle, here are some questions to consider. What, if anything, might stop you both from finding a mutual time together? And what can be done to resolve this? How will you make sure that this short time together remains focused on issues aside from the relationship? Principle five, know how to manage an argument. Now, conflicts invariably arise despite how strong a relationship is. However, whilst conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. So if you have a lot of arguments with your partner, it's not necessarily a sign of a bad relationship or that you are ill-suited. What matters is how you both deal with the issue at hand or how you argue. If you can both learn to air grievances and complaints with a constructive attitude, your relationship will strengthen. But when a difference of opinion descends into blaming, accusing, generalising, exaggerating and undermining each other's character, the relationship could be headed for the rocks. You don't want that. 
So if you have a difference of opinion that needs thrashing out with your partner, here's how to keep the argument healthy. This is the Get It Right Argument Guide. So firstly, agree to have five minutes each to speak without interruption. Then stick to the issue under discussion. Do not bring up grievances from the past. What about when I wanted to visit my mother last Christmas and you... Dot, dot, dot. We really don't go there. Now keep in mind, we've all got arsenal in the bank that we can pull out against our partner, but this really isn't going to help anything. So stick to the issue under discussion. Do not attack each other's character. You've always been a selfish, insert your preferred insult there. Avoid the words always and never. Such generalizations are unlikely to be true. And when the first person has spoken, the second should summarize what they think was said without judgment or criticism. The first speaker then corrects their summary if necessary. Then the second person speaks for five minutes, after which the first person summarises, again without blame or criticism, and the speaker corrects as necessary. Now listen, this is really important at this point, is to say nothing more. Agree to go away and digest what you've heard, whether you agree with it or not. This is a crucial point. Some people want to keep hammering home a point because they're chasing a resolution in the moment. This is not the moment to chase a resolution. You might be feeling emotional at this moment. And if you're feeling emotional, it's very unlikely that you're going to be using that constructive part of your brain to bring yourself both to consensus. Now, if there is something to be resolved, agree to meet again later or the next day at a specified time and use the same rules. No blaming, no character assassination, no interrupting, etc. To put forward and discuss possible solutions. Do not use language that's secretly designed to antagonise or demean. For instance, if one person has superior reasoning skills and can rebut with ease each point the other makes, the one who feels thwarted must resort to a purely emotional response. Remember, if there is a dispute, there is a clash of needs. It's a clash of emotional needs. So it's important to genuinely value each other's contribution and to understand fully and clearly what each person's needs are. Okay, now, of course, with all of these things, there's much more to say, but I am aware of your time. So I hope that was useful. If you have any questions about anything mentioned, don't hesitate to contact me and I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as I can. All right, take care and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye-bye.